Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. Troy Dooley, the host of the Beachside CEO. And today we are finishing up John Maxwell's wonderful book. Just hit the market not a little over a month and a half ago. The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. Live them and reach your full potential. It's going to be uh, mixed emotions as we finish this one. This has been a phenomenal book, something that we can learn from, something to grow from, something that um, i got to tell you, I really look at this more as a a reference guide, something that we should be going back to on a regular basis, not just jumping off, watching it today, reading it today, I should say, and then um, shutting it down. We should be analyzing each chapter. Matter of fact, if if we were to take one chapter a week starting now and look at each law and, and try to work that law, focus on that law, see what we can do to to bring it into our life, it might be amazing what we would find. And those are the kinds of things that I enjoy. I, I love taking these books, writing in them, going back down the road and re-going re, re through each chapter. And I've done this with all John's books because it helps me to better understand what is it I'm trying to do, what is it I'm trying to learn. Have I learned anything? That is, that's the next big one right there. Did I learn something? If I haven't, then I've got issues. You know, that's that's going to be a major, major problem. And I think that in this case, definitely we've learned something. We're in Chapter 15, The Law of Contribution. Growing yourself enables you to grow others. If you're not doing something with your life, it doesn't matter how long it is. You know, I think about this as a – well, I first started thinking about it as a dad, you know, and – and looking at things and trying to realize, well, what's the scoop? You know, what is it that, that I'm trying to do, trying to accomplish? And and then as my kids grew older, I started looking at, well, am I still growing? Is I, am I growing as a parent? Am I growing as a businessman? Am I growing as a husband? Man, I've fallen short in all those areas. But I have continued to grow, even though sometimes I make mistakes. And I think that's the key. John starts this out, he says, I must confess that in the beginning, my motivational for personal growth was selfish. I wanted to grow so I could be successful. There were goals that I wanted to accomplish, milestones I wanted to achieve. But along the way, I made a life-changing discovery. My process in personal growth also opened doors for others. It made it possible for me to make a contribution to them it led us not just to be the achievement of success, but to work on significance. And, you know, it's, this book has helped me because I've got some major decisions to make before the first of the year on my business, on the direction that we take our business next year. And this book has been able to help me do that because I know I want to make significance in other people's lives, not just my own. You know, and as I, as I read through this, I started saying, okay, what what about me? This is great for Maxwell, but what about me? You know, is adding value to others still a high priority in my life? And I realized that it was. I realized that when I when I honed myself in just with focusing on one company too much or or something like that in my news reporting, then it 
it might stifle other people. It doesn't lead to significance. This last couple of days, as as my son Dalton has made national news for his stance on on violence and video games and, and the fact that he believes parenting has a lot to do with the issue. And newspapers like the New York Daily News has picked up that story. When, when him and others in his sphere of influence said, out of respect for these 26 dead, let's give a, a, a day of no shooting. And on Fridays across the world, Video games will go silent as they respect what happened and prove that they are a society. It's funny because who would have thought that a a kid just from the neighborhood who at 14 started running non-profit organizations would at 22 be leading a national, what I've coined as a national revolution of showing how much gamers care about this issue. See, that's 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 providing significance, and I'm passing on something to him who he's passing on to the world. Ben Franklin once said, I would rather have it said that I had lived usefully than I had died rich. Ben Franklin's one of my heroes, and I take that, because I'd rather leave behind a legacy than die a hero. He also went on to do some other things. See, Franklin didn't see the world in terms of how much he could make from it, but in terms of how many people he could help. When he created the Franklin stove, instead of patenting it and taking it and keeping it for himself, he made it open-ended so everybody could use it. Dr. John C. Van Horn wrote this. Franklin's philanthropy was what I call a collective nature. His sense of benevolence was aiding his fellow human beings and doing good to society. In fact, in one sense, Franklin's philanthropy, his sense of benevolence, was his religion. Doing good to mankind was, in his understanding, divine. I thought, man, that's pretty good. Franklin used to ask himself every morning, what good shall I do today? And at night he'd say, what good have I done today? Should we, shouldn't we all be doing that? See, to do that we've got to look outside ourselves. We can't look internally. John writes a story that I thought was so powerful in here. He said, my dad still likes helping others. A few years ago, dad was getting ready to move into a new assisted care living center. And he let me know that he wanted to be the first person to move it in when it was open. This is important, son. I need to be first, he emphasized. Now, in the Maxwell family, that's a trait that we all want to win at everything and anything that we do. So I suspected that Dad was up to something. I said, well, why do you want to get there first, Dad? You see, he responded, there's going to be a lot of old people moving into that facility. Dad was in his late 80s at the time. They ain't going. That's all going to be foreign to them, and they're going to need. They're going to be scared, and I want to be all moved in so I can greet them when they arrive, introduce myself, and show them around, and let them know that everything's going to be all right. John writes a side note in the book and says, "When I grow up, I want to be more like my dad." See, even in his eighties, Doctor Maxwell is wanting to help other people. 
John says we need to be a river, not a reservoir. And that took me for a minute. I thought, what's he saying? He says, how do you increase your chances of being able to help others? To be able to really make a significant contribution in your lifetime, then you need to think yourself as a river, not a reservoir. He said, most people who do make personal growth part of their life, it's to add value to themselves. They're like a reservoir that continually takes in water, but only to fill themselves up. In contrast, a river flows. Whatever water it receives, it gives away. And that's the way we should be. And I thought, man, that is good. That's just that's just some stud stuff right there. And he says, here's some questions. He got these from Gordon McDonald. He said, who mentors you and offers you a baseline on wisdom? Who mentors you to aspire to be a better person? Who challenges you to think? Who cheers on your dreams? Who cares enough to rebuke you? Who is merciful when you have failed? Who shares the load in pressurized moments? Who inspires you to seek faithfully after God? Who loves you unconditionally? John put a quote in here from Jimmy Carter. I'm not a fan of his political endeavors, but his humanitarian ones have been pretty solid. And Jimmy says this, I have one life and one chance to make account for something. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, wherever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try to make a difference. I thought, man, that's pretty good. So we got to make the right contributions. How do we do that? Write this down. This is important. Number one, be grateful. See, people who aren't grateful aren't givers. Aren't givers. They rarely think about others. They think only of themselves. When they do think of others, they use them as manipulative points. How can I get something out of somebody without them realizing it? I have a situation. I got a phone call the other day. Somebody had used my name, rang up a pretty big bill. The guy said, are you Troy Dooley? I said, Ad, I am. He said, well, you owe us X amount of dollars. And I said, I don't. And he started to get very belligerent. And I said, just just hang on a minute. Don't, don't. Don't go getting in a tizzy. You're just getting paid hourly. I said, what's the Social Security number? He read the last four, and I said, I can tell you right now, those aren't the last four of my Social Security number. You know, so many times, people out there just think about themselves. We can't do that. We need to, we need to, we need to think of what we owe others. John's dad, Mr. Maxwell, Dr. Maxwell, said this when, when John was young. He said, you need to understand that everyone depends on somebody to help them. He said, John, when you were born, you already owed your mother for nine months of room and board. I thought that's pretty stout. So many times we don't see that we already owe our mom and dad. We already owe others. Zig Ziglar said, you can get everything in life you want if you help enough people get what they want. And I've, I've used that so much. He died a couple of weeks ago, went home to be with the Lord. This is what we have to do if we want to make this happen and make it happen right. John writes something in his book. He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If we succeed without sacrifice, then it's because somebody else went before us and made the sacrifice. 
If you sacrifice and don't see success, then someone who follows will reap success from your sacrifice. Best story I can use there is King David and his son Solomon. David had this passion to build to God the most beautiful temple you've ever seen. But he didn't get to do that. He was able to to build a kingdom that had all the natural resources to do it, but his son Solomon had to see it through. It's interesting when we think about that. We could also put it, if, if you're of a spiritual nature, you could also look at it and say, see what God and, and Jesus did. God created the world, but Jesus had to redeem it. Or if you say, Troy, I'm not really a spiritual kind of guy, that doesn't connect with me, then let's use the Trumps as an example. Donald Trump's dad was able to, to build and create the foundation for where Donald was able to take their family business. His, his dad owned a lot of apartment buildings in New York, lower-end apartment buildings. We, in some cases, might have called him a slumlord. Donald saw what his dad had created and went out and built giant apartment complexes, put his name on casinos, in network marketing, and has taken it to the next level, but it was through his dad's sacrifice that he was able to have the foundation to make that happen. See, these are the things that you have to look at in life. Number two, put people first. You know, that's one thing that I've learned, and I don't think I can tell you that I learned it from my parents. You know, as I look back in life, I don't think that was something that was at the top of my mom and dad's list. Now, my dad gave unconditionally to my mom. Matter of fact, I learned how to love a woman unconditionally because of my dad's love for my mom. But outside of that, my dad wasn't a real giving person. You didn't you didn't see him doing wild and crazy things. But he taught me family values. My mom was was too busy taking care of the family just to worry about giving all the time. So that wasn't something at the top of her list. We didn't go to you know to the soup kitchens or do anything like that. So I sat there and I said, I thought, I said where did I get it? You know, if, if, if John got it from his mom and dad, and I can't say I got it from my mom and dad, where did I get it? And, and something came to mind. My mom and dad took me to church. So indirectly, my mom and dad taught me how to give because they sent me to church and I was able to learn how Jesus gave and how other people in the world. I remember when I started running around with... With, with Kansas City Chiefs football players, it's because Charlie Getty came to our church one day and started talking about professional athletes and how it was cool for them to to be Christians. And I thought, man, I love Charlie Getty. He's a big, gigantic guy. He later became my youth pastor. It's interesting when you look back in life and you realize, wow, if I'm grateful for what I have and I put people first and I treat other people for who and what they are and not for what they can give me, life can be amazing. See, one thing that I've learned, and John writes about it a lot, is that once people are satisfied that your motives are right and that you will put them ahead of your own selfish interests, then you will be willing, they will be willing to become partners with you on your journey. I got to thinking about a move I made in business, and I thought, man, did that did that cause people to distrust maybe some of the things that I've done? So I'm going to reevaluate and analyze some of my 
my motives, to make sure that there is nothing that I do in business that would cause somebody to fear that. Don't want that to happen. See, the measure of success is not the number of people who serve you, but the number of people you serve. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. Number three, don't let stuff own you. Man, isn't that the the biggest deal? So many times we get wrapped up with he or she with the most toys wins. You know, I see that a lot in relationships. All of a sudden women need to have somebody on the side, some young stud to make them feel like they're sexy. Some guy's got to have an affair. And it's all because of stuff. Oh, I want more. I watched a, a, a romantic Hallmark movie last night of some kind, and it was showing a lady who had picked out the perfect man for her because he was at the same height in society, and he had the, the same good looks as her and all this stuff. And she calculatedly put it together, and it's like, man, that would suck. That was just awful. Showed her penthouse apartment, which, man, it really did have a beautiful view. But you can't let stuff own you. Arthur Richard Foster writes, Owning things is an obsession in our culture. If we own it, we feel it will give us more pleasure. The idea is an illusion. In general, if you try to feed emotional or spiritual needs with material things, all it does is make you hungrier for a little more. And that's true. In the Bible, there was a guy about called the Rich Young Ruler. John Ortberg wrote about him in one of his books. And what he wrote was, he said, he devoted his life to the wrong things. And if you were to make a list of his priorities, it would be something like this. Harvest large crops, build bigger barns, achieve financial security, eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, yeah, and remember not to die because you can't take it with you when you go. A little, little humorous, but it happens. Andrew Carnegie of American Steel wrote in his essay, Gospel of Wealth, that the life of a wealthy person should have two periods, a time of acquiring wealth and a time of redistributing it. Not government redistribution, but the time that the rich man does. See, just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us, and it destroys the demon of greed. That's pretty powerful. Number four, don't let people own you. Oh, this is a big one, in my business especially. If I do a report on something or I get a sponsor that that is sponsoring my website that's a company owner, next thing you know they want to call me and say, well, you need to do this. And say, no, I don't. I need to just report on the facts and on the truth the way it's supposed to be. Some people don't get that. I remember working for a company once, two of them as a matter of fact. One was in Kansas City. I was helping to turn around a failing country club. It was a fun time, an exciting time. I was working for a family that didn't get along. They were all cousins. And Lord knows it was crazy because they always wanted to tell me what to do and that that I was theirs and they owned me. And it's like, yeah, that ain't going to work. Then I worked for another man once who kept telling me, look at all I've given you. Look at what you've done. I remember one day on my Facebook, some lady had written and said, well, you're not very grateful. He he gave you a big bonus so you could buy a truck. 
I said those were two different situations. The truck was bought in 2001 for a birthday present from my mother-in-law, and it's a 1995 Ranger. The bonus that I made, which was a hefty quarterly five-figure bonus, was actually in 2004, three years after the first event. But in the mind of the individual at the time, or at least this lady's recollection, it was that somebody else had owned me. And it's interesting when this happens because we can we can get wrapped up into that. That's why if we give more than others, we won't have that problem. Robert Lutz Stephen wrote, I consider the success of my day based on the seeds I sow, not on the harvest I reap. As I was studying this, I got to thinking about that. You know, because defining success, this is number five, as sowing, not reaping. In 2012, that was one of the biggest issues that I've seen. And it started with penny options. It's 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 now gone into online systems being used. People are so wrapped into the reaping. If I sow just a little and can reap giant amounts, then it must be okay. I mean, gosh, the Bible says I can reap a hundred hundredfold. But the reality is, we're supposed to be sowing constantly, not worrying about the reaping. Nabai Sahu probably said that wrong, but who owns Gloria Jean's Coffee, once said this to John. After sowing, there's a period of time when it looks like nothing's happening. All the growth is below the surface. People often don't realize that, nor have they anticipated it and planned for it. They become impatient, and they give up. We learned earlier, bamboo takes five years for it to spread out of the ground, but then it just grows like crazy. Many times we need to take time to let the sowing happen. George Washington Carver said it this way, No individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind his distinct and legitimate reasons for passing through it. That's pretty rocking right there. Number six, focus on self-development, not self-fulfillment. You know, the world today seems to to want instant gratification or or what I've coined as instant self-fulfillment. I want it now. You know, when I was growing up, I was talking with my buddy Harry Wilkes yesterday on this. Different subject, but it's the same type deal. What happens in life is interesting because people change their mindset. You know, as I was growing up, parents took an interest in what their kids did. Nowadays, parents are so busy that they kind of pass through life and all of a sudden their kids are adults. My son JT and I were talking about this today because it talks it goes with self-fulfillment. We were talking about the the issue with violence in video games and stuff like that and he goes, "Well, in my in my neck of the woods, dad, in my group, what happened was I had guys saying, "Man, how could God do this?" And he goes, "I had to tell him, you know, it was in the 60s that they they took God out of school. They don't they don't let him go. So he didn't he even if he wanted to stop it, he couldn't stop it. They don't let him go through the front doors." I thought, man, that's pretty profound. That's coming from a rebel. You know, this is the kind of thing that happens because we want self-fulfilling prophecies. We want, we want self, we want, we want to feel good all the time. I think this is why there's so many people out there with having affairs. Matter of fact, I read an article today about a lady that was convicted of child abuse because she helped her 13-year-old daughter snap. Naked pictures of 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 herself of the thirteen year old, not the mom. Of the thirteen year old, the mom took the naked pictures of her thirteen year old daughter, 
to send to a 31-year-old man who had sent them the iPhone to have the pictures on. And we wonder why we have problems. It's because people aren't focused on self-development. They're focused on self-fulfillment. In this case, it was money. We can't do that. Self-fulfillment is an interesting thing. He it thinks on how something can serve me. Self-development thinks on how can I serve others. Self-fulfillment feels good in the is the product. With self-development, feeling good is the byproduct. See, we should be wanting to feel good about others. We should be wanting to help others. We should be wanting to develop ourselves in a massive way. It's funny. I listen to people all the time. And they'll say, well, Troy, you know, we've listened to your radio shows and, and, and you, you kind of sound like some of, those, some of those preachers that want to water down the gospel. I said, really? Yeah. I said, okay. How many times have you read your Bible this week? I've been busy. Okay. In the conversation. See, because self-development, no matter what you do, you're always going to be developing your spiritual life, your physical life, your health, your mental, whatever it is. Number seven, keep growing to keep giving. See, we got it. We got to constantly do that. If if we're not growing, we're not going to be able to give to others. It won't work. It just won't happen that way. One of my heroes, and John writes about him. He says a legendary contributor. He said December two thousand and nine, the legendary personal growth teacher, writer, and mentor died. His name was Jim Rohn. As a kid, Roan had grown up on a farm in Idaho. After graduating from high school, he went off to college, but stayed for only a year. One year of college, Roan said, and I thought I was thoroughly educated. Roan took a job as a clerk at Sears. Lived paycheck to paycheck. By age 25, he'd become discouraged and hoped to find a better path. A friend of Roan's invited him to attend a seminar by J. Earl Schoff, a motivational speaker and salesman. The main message, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Your income is directly related to your philosophy, not on the economy. And for things to change, you must change. Shelf mentored Roan for five years, encouraging him to develop himself and pursue his dream of creating a better life for himself and his family. By 31, Roan was a multimillionaire. Roan may have been a success story few people know about. But then his life took an unexpected turn. A friend invited him to speak about his accomplishments at a Rotary Club meeting. Roan accepted and gave a message that he called the Idaho Farm Boy Makes It to Beverly Hills. It was a hit. Others began to invite him to speak. At first, he spoke to service organizations, high school students and such. In 1963, he launched a conference business. During a career developing people that lasted more than four decades, this is the big one here, listen to this. Roan wrote more than two dozen books, spoke to more than 6,000 events, developed more than five million people. And during that time, he never stopped learning, never stopped growing. He once observed, the greatest gift you can give to somebody is your own personal growth. Wow, isn't that pretty big? That's That's just amazing to me. When he passed away... Later that year, there was a tri- or later the next year, there was a tribute. It was February 6, 2010. I remember this event. I wasn't there, but I do remember this. We bragged about it. The guest speakers who honored him included Anthony Robbins, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Chris Widener, Dennis Whateley, and Darren Hardy. 
And of all those people, the only one that has not mentored me either at a distance or personally has been Les Brown. Chris Widener and I are great, great friends. Dennis Whiteley was one of my first motivational guys that I ever listened to. The win, He's got so many great ones. Darren Hardy and I have met numerous times. He's he sent us his books to do. He's good friends with Richard Brooke. When you give, that's what matters most, folks. You have to give. This has been a great book that we've studied. The question is, are you going to apply it to your life? Are you going to write in it? Are you going to buy it? Are you going to put it on your Kindle? What are you going to do? You're just going to blow it off and say, man, I had a great 15 weeks with Troy. He's so cool. That ain't going to put any money in your pocket. So you better grow and do something. That's the name of the game. Folks, we we probably won't do any shows next week. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's Christmas. I want everybody to enjoy life. We may we may do – well, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm not even going to do a show tomorrow. There's a bunch of archives people can pick up if you're listening. And we'll pick back up the first of the year. I'm just going to take the next few days off, and I'm going to study this book and, and study where I want to go. And then in January, we're going to start Michael's book on social media. I think you guys have enjoyed it. I'm going, to, I'm going to share how he's helped me. We're going to see if we can get him live on the radio show. Folks, live life like an epic adventure. Stay dangerous. Stay strong. Have a great Christmas. And remember, you've been listening to the Beachside CEO on the Home Business Radio Network, the voice in positive powered radio.